This episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which I was lucky enough to head out to Barcelona and see being unveiled at its launch and to chat to athletes like Sharon Nakidi, who won the New York Marathon a few years ago, who does all of her easy and steady runs in this pair of shoes. And then we've set Jess from The Running Channel a very specific challenge to train for 12 weeks for her fastest, hopefully, ever 10K, which is also back out in Barcelona. Yeah, she is loving training in this shoe. And I think it's important as well because we're so lucky we get to test lots of different shoes. But we do know that some people just want that one pair that will do everything. So Jess has been doing her long runs, interval sessions, and she will be tackling the final 10K in the Under Armour Infinite Elite shoes. Yeah, big focus on endurance and a brand new foam, which provides extra energy return and looks after you on even your longest runs. So if you want to know more, head to the link in the show notes. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast with me, Sarah Hartley, Andy Badley, who just described himself as so manly it hurts, and Rick, who's got a cough but's not ill. Oh, I've got a cough, I'm not ill. I feel like you've got to say that nowadays. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm generally not ill, but I've got a cough. And Andy, how are you doing over there? Well, now I'm feeling manly. incredible and not at all devastated that you've let that little soundbite into the podcast. <laughs> I was clearly joking. I don't think I've ever said a, a single statement that's been less true than that, but you know, you've hit me with it. It's now out in the public forum. People can take their own judgment from that. Now, please do a podcast and save me. <laughs> Cue the music. Right, so we're back for another week, back to the three of us again. It feels a little bit different not having Mo here, so hopefully everyone enjoyed the episode with him last week after his incredible achievements. But Sarah, what have you got in terms of updates from your running week for us? Oh, lots of updates. Stay tuned because today we're going to be talking about how do you run to heart rate, which I feel like a lot of people don't know but could massively make a big difference in your running. From my week, not a lot to report. I've been a little bit ill, my back. (laughs) Well, I know I talked about it a lot last week. But I don't it know, was very... you, you've hardly mentioned it since though. No, I know. I've hardly mentioned it. You've been, you've been such a brave little soldier. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's almost better. So anyone else who is struggling with uh, injuries in general, little niggles, I feel you. I'm hoping to get back into training this week. Um, and I did a classic uh, every week. My coach Andy texts me and asks, is there anything else? Is there anything like coming up this week? Yeah. Because usually he mainly I... says, is there anything crazy that the running channel is yeah, asking you to do? It, what's that's, the that's running what channel making you do this week? Yeah. So I texted him back saying, no, nothing. Uh, I'd like to do park run. But on, I basically didn't do, I only did one run out of four last week because of being injured. And then I went and did a park run on Saturday because I was feeling so much better, yeah. did it, and then did the classic runner mistake of being like, Andy, I feel better. Can I do my speed session on a Sunday? And he was like, no, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you fix your back, Sarah? Just a lot of stretching, okay. a lot of just TLC. For me, I found sitting for long periods of time made it worse. Yeah. So a lot of standing. The more you lot- move, the more you move, the better it was. Yeah. So a lot of that, a lot of... Um, yeah, just trying everything to make it better. But I've, I think I've got rest. a Shakti mat. Have you ever used the Shakti mat? Ooh, is this that is the one with, with the, the nails, needle? right? Yeah, the, it's. I think it's called a Indian bed of nails. Is the kind of second sentence. Does it help? Does you find it? I, help? I find it's phenomenal. Really? I actually take it if I go away for a weekend on on holiday up north within the country. I take it with me because whenever I don't sleep in my own bed, that's when I find that I get a bad back. Oh, yeah, the Shakti same. nat, Shakti what? The Shakti nat. <laughs> the Shakti nan. The yeah. Shakti mat um, is yeah. so painful when you first get on it, but within about, I don't know, a couple of minutes, all just kind of dies away. The amazing thing here is we gave you that as like a joke. You gave the, it as a joke. Uh, for the for the 
challenge Rick segment of the old monthly show. Um, and then you would bravely, you're pretty game for anything, ice baths, Shakti mats, uh, learning drills, all sorts of incredible stuff. And now it's literally underneath the side of my bed. I just whip it out before bed. And lie in it for 20 minutes. Oh, the mat. The mat. Yeah. The right. Shakti mat. It is incredible how there are so many things now that could be described as forms of torture that people are just doing and they're making such a massive very difference. pleasurable. I like, mean, can you imagine being like, oh, I'm going to start running. What, this what, is a, this what's going to help a, me? Dark lie, rabbit hole. Lie on some nails. Yeah. <laughs> Not actual nails for reference. It's kind of like little spiky bits. Get in an ice bath. Yeah, even foam rollers. Or, it does, or like, yeah. Get a sports massage, yeah. which is essentially just be pummels. But, but here's a question. Do you think runner's tolerance of pain is higher than other athletes? Yes. I would love to think oh, so. Oh, then other Ooh, other athletes. Oh, yeah. you, as in like compared to say a footballer? Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I was going to say compared to people that don't get regular physio well, treatment or yeah. massage treatment, I'd say so, yeah. I think you're probably right. Ooh, it, like, oh my gosh, have you? has anyone ever tried, um, what's it called, cupping? <laughs> <laughs> Be yeah. sensible, please. Yes, children, yeah, so cupping, I'm... like Michael Phelps made this famous, didn't he, during the Olympics because he had all those like uh, circular marks all down his back yeah. when he came out to the pool. So Mo did it in his training block as well and he was explaining to me how it works and there is, don't laugh at this, there's dry cupping and wet cupping. Uh, of course there is. <laughs> and apparently dry cupping um, is when it's like a little glass, like glass cup yeah, right, that gets yeah. suctioned onto your muscles yeah. to help you. So loads of people do it on their back yeah. or their legs. There's also wet cupping, mm -hmm. which is apparently when they literally cut you a little bit and then they put the cup on and then oh. it draws all the blood out. I'll, oh. I'll take the dry version. I was, about to, I was about to make the joke that that could be something else that Rick whips out before bed. <laughs> but um, <laughs> No, I definitely don't do that before bed. <laughs> no, that's disgusting. But What a nighttime routine. routine I have. <laughs> but speaking of Rick, I think you've got a little anecdote from this weekend, haven't you? Did you try a little bit of a scientific test at your local parkrun? That's right. So I read um, last week after we did the, the podcast that shorts in... Regular runners, amateur runners, not elites, are actually becoming shorter. So I thought I'd find the shortest pair of shorts I could find. Oh, well, actually, yeah, a few years ago, we sent you out in my old three-inch or two-inch split You shorts. ran in the Olympics. Yeah, well, with, yeah, they were, they were my elite uh, shorts. Olympics, my so sponsor, I brought yeah. your Olympic shorts in with me today. They so are what, short. They're three inches. <laughs> three, so I went down to Parkrun on Saturday wearing my three-inch Andy Badley Olympic shorts <laughs> just to see if shorts have actually got shorter. And I just, you know, stood next to quite a few men before it all kicked <laughs> oh off. My goodness. For anyone Please, who was stood next to you so by Rick in three-inch shorts, I apologise. Yeah. Yeah, the weird thing was, it wasn't actually my week to run it. <laughs> so you were there so in, in split shorts yeah, supporting? We split it, me, me, me and my wife, Chantal, we, we mm. split it. So she runs it one week, I look for the kids the other week. And then, so we do it every so other week. So you were supporting in, in three-inch sh shorts. shorts. And I can tell you, shorts have got shorter, just not that short. Right. Yeah, so you were still there. You're an idiot. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Give okay. it a few years and you might blend in, mate, no, but on, not yeah. quite yet. It, it, it is amazing, actually, though. If you the Because Parkrun oh. on a Saturday morning is basically where you can see the who's who of runners. You, there's everybody right, there. Kelsey. Yeah. Well, no, it's you know, well, the different types. <laughs> oh, you know, right. you're, you're, diff you're different type of runner. Um, we've made a video on that. Mm -hmm. um, but now, compared to three years ago, I just looked at, back at a, a photo from pre-injury for me running Parkrun. No super shoes on the lineup. Everything was quite dull. There was not much colour on people's feet. Much brighter feet. and shorter much shorts. Much brighter yeah. and shorter shorts. Now, comparing those two photos, I was thinking, my gosh, has any other sport 
gone under such an extravagant change in fashion sense <laughs> at an amateur level. Oh, he's back at on fashion. Ama- at an amateur level. What an is amateur your level. obsession with fashion this year? In such a short time. Um, that is quite interesting that I love the fact that when I first started running, which was pre pre you being injured, but also like pre yeah. super shoes and pandemic, it was kind of, you just wore quite basic Stage. Stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the colours weren't as, I oh, do you see what you mean? It is quite fluorescent now. It's, 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 it's what, all kicked off. What's amazing is you go to speak to any of the different shoe brands and they each have their own like internal department that's entirely, their job is materials and also then colour will be part of that. And so they'll, they'll be doing massive research now. So, And it's amazing how often similar colours come out for similar brands. But mm. So, for example, the, the big shoe brands will now be looking, what are we, 2023? They'll be already, they'll already know what colours they're going to use in 2025. Really? So like the, there that, must be, though. So, like, they will all, as well, get, like, different firms in to advise them on colours Yeah, but I think well. all those firms just go to one guy. But this is oh, the thing. One, one, one I would person love to meet like, the person yeah. who decides the colour. The colour guy. Yeah, yeah it's going to be green in 2025 like, or whatever it is. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Do, all, do all the brands pick the same colour? Often they end up... They're so, very similar. Yeah, they do end up taking a similar... So a good way of... It always annoyed me if you any of the elite athletics on the TV, you'll have like the Nike people in the Nike singlet and the Adidas people in their, you know, race strip. And so often on so many years, they were a different tone of the same colour. And so then you end up watching 20 people run around a 10K at Diamond League and you can't tell who anyone is because they're all wearing wow. exactly the same colors. Even Adidas and Nike, who I just said, for example, the big shoe companies, there's a benefit to them to collude with one another to actually say, hey, look, hey guys, we're going green. Yeah. Don't, don't go, don't <laughs> don't go do green. <laughs> or like have Can some you imagine doing like ins- rock, paper, scissors, who's going to get pink yes, this exactly. year? Yeah, it's, it's, it's running insider trading. Over, over colours. That means basically there's only one way to differentiate between different runners. Wear even shorter shorts. Well, or longer based or on your... Really, yeah. yeah go Maybe, back to like um, the big baggy called? shorts. Like Courtney DeWater, really famous ultra yeah. runner. She always always wears, what are they called? Really long short, like basketball shorts. Yeah, that's a big thing in the States that, or it was anyway, when I was competing at college level, a lot of the men might warm up in like baggy basketball shorts. Right. I think that's cool. The practicality of those though is weak. Well, you can whip them off over without taking your shoes off, though. I see. Because they're baggy, so you, like, you, you don't need to take off your spikes if you've put your spikes on ahead of your race. Or- also, right. for running in, if you're not that bothered about speed, my personal gripe with shorts is that the average runner, this is a sweeping statement, but yeah. I'm including myself in this, the average runner does not have a thigh gap. <laughs> and like so many shorts are designed that if, and if they are getting shorter, you're going to chafe. And this yeah. always, I didn't wear shorts for the first two years that I ran because I just didn't, I didn't find a pair where I wasn't like, oh, just hang so on. So what did give, you wear? I wore leggings. Oh, really? I, and then when it was summer, I wore like three quarter length leggings. It took me so long to actually find a pair of shorts where I was like, okay, I'm not going to have to cover myself in like, I didn't know anti-chafe was a thing. Sarah, Andy sent me an email this week. Oh no. We were going to an event together and he said, can you not wear leggings? <laughs> <laughs> I did, yeah. I gave him the specific brief. <laughs> Stop wearing those beep leggings. <laughs> Take them everywhere with him. Yeah, but you, this is going to backfire because he's now just going to turn up in three inch split shorts. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, which is a lesser of two evils. Should we actually crack on with yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, the heart podcast rate. topic? Yeah, heart, heart rate. rate training. So this, I think, is a very hot topic because a lot of people want to run to heart rate but don't understand it perhaps as yeah. much so if you're if you're looking at your running maybe as like an 80 20 percentage which is how what most training plans will be based off you're doing 80 percent of your running at kind of easier paces 20 yeah. percent at higher intensities yeah 
loads of people will base that off pace. So you might have a rough idea of what your easy kind of everyday training pace is and then you've got an idea of what your interval pace is or that might be your race pace lots of people do this to heart rate but i feel like not a lot of people know how to get it to heart rate so that's what we want to delve into one how do you work out your heart rate zones and what are heart rate zones and two how can you use that in your training to help you improve or just to understand your training a bit better Cool. Sarah's just looking at me. She's like, right, I've done the intro. Let's hand over to Andy. No, so I've written loads of notes here, but Andy is far better at maths than me. So should we start off by working out what your heart rate is? Even before that, maybe the fact that obviously you're using something to measure your heart rate. Mm -hmm. So wrist-based optical heart rate monitors on your smartwatch or or sports watch will be pretty accurate these days, but it does depend on having a snug fit on your wrist. Mm -hmm. Um, If they're loose so they can slide up and down your arm, you will not get accurate heart rate readings. There's also your reading will also be dependent on like a few other variables as well so if it's not tight you won't get a good reading also if you've got a tattoo on your wrist it might not be able to read properly and it is kind of variant on um skin tones as well yeah and and sweat and all of those things Mm. so make sure you've got an accurate fit to get the most accurate heart rate reading or wear a heart rate strap um there's there's less there are fewer variables that can have a negative impact on the accuracy there. It um, also, you don't have to, if you have a heart rate strap, it doesn't mean that you have to wear that for every single run. No. But if you want to kind of work, like intermittently check what your heart rate zones are, it can be useful to just pop a heart rate strap on just to get a slightly more accurate reading um, and then use that to just kind of determine your zones. Yeah, so you might not get too obsessed with it, but things that could be really beneficial to your training is understanding whether you're doing threshold training right and then also making sure that your easy runs are easy enough. Mm. So they're probably the two extremes almost so should we yeah jump straight in with what you're going to ask i think about maximum heart rate let's do some maths i'm also going to turn this slightly into a quiz because i feel like it'll be too more fun yeah andy what is the fox formula i do know this one so this is the age old 220 minus your age to work out what your maximum heart rate should be and that's a good ballpark but it's really inaccurate because different people are have different levels of fitness Uh, yeah think of your circle of friends and like i know between my circle of friends we are all the same age so our maximum heart rate would be exactly the same based off this formula but it was depending on like how active you are or what sport you do it's going to be vastly different yeah i ran with someone and this was at the elite level and we were the same age and there was a 20 beat difference between our max heart rate so max wow that's big so yeah that that's why it's not a great it's a good rule of thumb but it's you know it's it's the probably the least accurate possible way of doing it and the reason it's important because in order to set your zones accurately in whatever watch or way of measuring you're using you need to know your max heart rate that's Mm -hmm. one of the key things you must know so if you're not using that there are a few other ways of doing it which are always through now there are two other formulas which you can do this one is advised for people who are quite active and it's called the hunt formula which is 211 minus and then 0.64 times your age so do that first and then minus that from 211 and that will give you your max heart rate and then for people who are over 40 there's the hello (laughs) (laughs) hands up andy this is your one it's called the tanaka formula i might be saying that wrong and you do 0.7 times your age and then minus that from 208 but if you want to do a fun little test to get your maximum heart rate, do. who doesn't, um, then you can do something called a stress test, yes. which sounds oh, yeah. horrible. Um, but basically you warm up and then you need to do 10 to 12 minutes at a hard effort. What that looks like, you can decide. This could be two to three K all out or two lots of 800 meters or two to three minute intervals or 
this one sounds the, the is this the one where you run towards a hill yeah you yeah. do five minutes kind of building up into a two minute hard hill effort whoever's yeah. choosing that one Bro- broadly the, the key here is that you need to exercise for long enough to have got to your max yeah so right. so you couldn't just sprint hard flat out for 30 seconds because you wouldn't get to your max you might still have headroom there so mm-hmm. so you need to do something that's broadly a max effort where you're holding as hard as you can go for at least two minutes at the end of a, a build-up yeah. where which Sarah's talking about there so the, the element before the hard max to two minute effort you need to have your heart rate already at a fairly elevated point so you're mm-hmm. not just going from resting all out for two minutes because your heart rate takes a little while to catch up yeah vo2 kinetics basically but but can we go over our max heart rate no it's your max it should be literally the max that the you, maximum your you body can, can your body can and that will decrease right. will decrease with age right so that's why that the age formula started off yeah. I see. You might find as well, I've definitely done it where when I first started using a watch, it will it will sometimes when you kind of put in your personal data, it will work out your max heart rate. And then yeah. when you do your first interval session in a watch, it will, it will finish off by being like max heart rate adjusted. Yes. And then you're like, oh, I went hard enough on well, that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's intriguing of- though, isn't it? Because as you get older, if you became a better runner, as you get older, yeah. then mm. your heart rate will actually be at a lower rate. Say say you were an average runner at 30, but a very good runner yeah. at 40, then you, you'll be you'll be running better, but your heart rate will be lower than it was 10 years ago. Uh, interestingly, I don't know whether that's true. Like, I'm not sure on the science of this is whether you might be able to compensate one for the other. So yeah. there's a decline with age, but then if you got fitter, would you be able to push to a higher max heart rate? I genuinely don't know. But yeah, I, that I, might be interesting, actually. Anyone who has started running a little bit later on in life, email into podcast at the running channel.com. Did you start, were you able to get your boost, your kind of max heart rate from where you started? Yeah, I feel like I should know that one. I'm probably going to get people going, no, that's silly. But but it seems logical to me. But maybe it is just it, a physiological probably, max that you can't exceed. I, I feel know. like it's a physiological max, but some people just won't have been able to. Yes. Maybe that's more likely. So your, your actual max hasn't changed, but your ability to Get push to yourself it. that hard might have changed. Yeah. And that just uh, one thing that's worth mentioning is the point here is that if you're using a watch or a phone to look at your heart rate zones, then set them. Don't just take the default in the app. And that's what loads of people will do. And then they'll be like, Oh, all my runs are at zone four or whatever it might be. <laughs> yeah. um, but that's because you, everything's defaulted to a certain level. So yeah. go into the app, whether that's Garmin Connect or whatever else it might be, and adjust your heart rate zones manually. That's what we're talking about here. So you set your actual max heart rate, either by doing it properly, like Sarah's just described, or or by using one of the formulae. And then uh, there are other things that we're going to adjust as well, potentially. Yeah, so once you've got your max heart rate, the other one, the other metric that's really good to have is your resting heart rate as well. So if you're wearing a watch all the time, it's probably going to be able to give you this, yeah. um, this figure. If you don't wear a watch, you can also just take your pulse. Yeah, so first thing in the morning when you're still in bed is probably the best way to get your resting heart rate. Unless like waking, it's like a stressful day and you have had a terrible night's sleep. <laughs> yeah, may- maybe not that. Uh, when you're worried about coming in and doing a podcast with uh, two idiots. Then, <laughs> then, when uh, do you do that? I can't oh, relate. Oh, yeah, it's my other podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so then, then that basically gives you, if you think about it, you can't use those heartbeats up to your resting heart I rate. I see. So if, you're, if your resting heart rate was, say, 60, those first 60 heartbeats per minute BPM are useless to you because you can't use them to exercise, right? I see. So that's why just using your max heart rate to calculate heart rate zones might not be the best method. Like I think, and there's a personal preference, there's other ways of doing it, but there's the heart rate reserve method, the HRR method, which is why you might want to know your resting heart rate. So you take your max heart rate, which is as hard as your body can possibly go, and you take your resting heart rate, which is as you know the the heart rate required for you to be alive and then the window between those is your is what you can actually use for 
for training. So if it's mm. 60 and 180, up to your maximum, then you've got yeah. 120 beats to play with of actual yeah. usable training zone. What is your resting heart rate? Uh, around 40. Sarah? Uh, really good question. I want to say around 50. What's yours? About 47, 48. Oh, no, I can't have the highest one, can I? No, oh, she's good. It's, it's not a competition. Oh, I'm frantically looking in my. That'll, that'll, that'll help your heart rate. <laughs> Seven day average, 57. Average resting heart rate. Uh, well, that's. It depends on whether you're wearing it during the day, at night, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, that's your window that you can use. Those, say, in, in our example here, 120 beats. Right and now it's gone to 70. Just I need talking to, about I need it. to calm down. That's yeah. anticipatory rise when you talk about your heart rate. It goes 62 up. Out of- yeah, you've got this, this heart rate reserve, which is your effective bit that you could train in. And then there are different percentages, but the simplest one is to start at zone one being kind of 50 to 60% of your heart rate reserve. And the way you work that out is you take the difference. So in our case, it's 120. Mm-hmm. Then you take 50% of that, which would be 60. Then you add it onto your resting heart rate. So 60 plus 60 would mean that zone one would start at 120. Yeah. In this in this instance, if, you, if you're using that 50 to 60 or... I can't remember whether it's 50 to 60 or 40 to 50%. For zone one? Yeah. 50 to 60. Oh, Sarah's got her notes. I wrote, I wrote it down. But yeah, 50 to 60. And then if you want to think of these as like rate of perceived effort as yeah. well, because this can be quite useful. So there are kind of typically five zones for heart rate you've got zone one which is like 50 to 60 if you're using heart rate reserve which equates to three out of ten for rate of perceived exertion so this will be for some people this might come into like warm up and cool down it might even be walking or brisk walking yeah yeah but for yeah that's what i was gonna say for a lot of people it might actually just be kind of walking around and then zone two is where you get into like warm up cool down which will be 60 to 70 percent and more of like a 4.5 out of 10 conversational yeah. conversation yeah, 60 70 percent of, of heart rate reserve not 60 70 percent of max effort yeah. yeah 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 which slightly different because of the way you'll perceive the the way you go through the heart rate yeah so then zone three is six out of ten in terms of rate of perceived effort or exertion yeah depending on what you call it which is is 70 to 80% of your heart rate reserve. And that's what a lot of people will be in for long runs or marathons. Okay. So you might you might still be able to kind of hold a conversation here, but it's, yeah, it's getting ste- a little this is, bit. This is steady state running. Steady yeah. running, yeah, yeah. Is, is zone three. So zone two is easy. That's that's like easy recovery, all the stuff you talked about. Zone three, mm-hmm. you've stepped it up into steady. So this is a solid effort, but yeah. you, you can definitely talk. It's yeah, not, It's not above that. Then we move into zone four, which is 80 to 90% of your heart rate reserve. You right. can't talk. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be- Short, 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 I think a few, few word sentences like- Morning Marshall. Or- yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's like a, a hard park run. <laughs> you can thank everyone thank as you, you go Marshall. around. Yeah, yeah. So then rate of perceived exertion will be eight out of 10. And then this is where you might do your like threshold tempo runs. Yes, okay. so tempo at the bottom end of that zone four and threshold probably in the middle or towards the top maybe. Yeah. Um, because there's a slight distinction there as to how long you can hold those for. But yeah, threshold running, I would say, is, is zone four. Then zone five, this is don't speak to me. Right. I won't yeah. be able to answer. 90 to 100% of your heart rate reserve, nine to 10 out of 10 in terms of perceived effort. This is your intervals, your sprints. Yeah, so this, this is this is a hard effort. So this is, I don't think many people could sustain a marathon in, in zone five. They might end up in zone five. Um, but yeah, when you realize how close yeah. you are to your time goal and you're sprinting down the home straight, yeah. that might be a zone yeah, five. Exactly. Um, and bear in mind that these percentages are slightly arbitrary. You can adjust them based on your experience outside. I had the luxury of going in a lab and having these tests done mm-hmm. and, and setting my heart rate zones for me. Um, and I only really focused on three main zones. Um, I focused on threshold and getting that exactly right. 
and then steady running the zone below that and then easy running to make sure that my easy recovery runs were easy enough yeah. everything else i wasn't too worried about um because if i was doing an interval session it was focused on pace and i knew it was going to be hard the only time i used heart rate in interval sessions was to make sure i was recovering enough between intervals particularly post illness or injury when i might need to make sure that actually i was well recovered because i would know what my recovery heart rate would be and i used to use 125 so if I did a hard effort, a K or a mile rep or whatever, and I looked at my heart rate, I was supposed to have 90 seconds. But after 90 seconds, I was still at like 140, 150 heart rate. Then either I just knocked that session on the head because I wasn't well enough to do it properly, or I'd need to take an extra minute or two until it came down. Fair. Yeah, I, I think I want to start using heart rate for easy running because I know so many people struggle with easy runs because it's so easy, ironically, to want to assign paces to it yeah. you might know what pace you're training for a marathon or for a 5k and then you're like oh well i'll just add a minute to that and that will determine what my easy run is but if you if you're yeah. someone who struggles with constantly checking the pace on your watch try literally just getting a screen up on your watch which has heart rate work out what that zone to um heart rate should be yeah. and then try using that for your easy runs because yeah. then you'll learn what your easy pace is, but you'll also see how much it can fluctuate depending yeah, and, on loads of and factors. And set, set an alert at the top of that zone. So you could set an alert that goes off if your heart rate goes too high. And then you don't need to look at it. You just know as long as it's not going off, I'm okay here. Um, and bear in mind how many things will impact your heart rate. So yeah. whilst it's an amazing measure, your daily stress, which we joked about that, that will have a massive impact. Temperature um, mm. or ho hormones, I suppose, um, that fluctuate every month. Um, and then just how well slept you are and, and, and all of those sort of things, how well recovered you are. All of those have a massive impact as well as, you know, caffeine, yeah. alcohol. Yeah. So it's a really good, really good stat to be clued up on and use. You don't need to get too obsessed with it, but a good one to use. So let us know how you get on. You are listening to the Running Channel podcast. Up next, we've got some news followed by our favorite bit, your questions. Don't forget this episode is sponsored by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Shoes. Now at the Running Channel, we bang on all the time about how if you want to run fast, you need to run slow. I'm talking about the 80-20 rule. Yes, you need to do the vast majority of your training at an easier or steadier pace. And you need an everyday pair of running shoes that you trust to do that. And the Infinite Elite has brand new cushioning technology in the form of Under Armour's Hover Plus. So that's designed to support you for the whole of even your longest runs with extra cushioning and energy return. So that's what this is all about. About. Yeah, and if you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes. So we'll answer all of your questions in a minute, but before that, Sarah and I are going to talk about a few different news stories that have caught our eye this week. Sarah, what's yours? I've just got a very quick shout out to two women who have represented England at Copenhagen Marathon the weekend just gone. Philly Bowden, well done. 2.29.16, she came Incredible. third. Incredible. And Anya Culling, who ran 2.34.45, again, amazing top 10. Just want to shout out some incredible women running. Super well inspirational. Yeah. Congrats to those guys. In particular, go and check out Philly Bowden's YouTube channel as well. You can follow her journey. She's training for the Paris Olympics, hopefully, next year. That's what she's aiming for anyway. Yeah. Nice. What's your news story? Okay, two news stories. The first one, quick Instagram update. <laughs> just, is that newsworthy i don't know you, you'll on, be the judge of that 2037 your, that is a terrible your improvement 400 on last off week. me can i just uh have a little shout out for at rick kelsey <laughs> this <laughs> week 
to Absolutely show not. Andy does not overtake me. At Sarah so, underscore adventures, currently closing in on 18,000. It's well, quite hard to find people with underscores, I find. That's I wouldn't bother. A, yeah, well, lots of people have, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now I'm they torn don't... between not really wanting to post, but also wanting to surpass Rick. So at Rumbadders, do as you please. Oh but... my gosh, who's going to get to 3,000 first, Rick or Andy? <laughs> um, I'm worried it's going to be him. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out. But actually, I've got a new story, um, which is more of a an opinion thing, I think. Ooh. I found this article on uh, androidcentral.com, not a classic thing that I, uh, that I read, but the actual headline got me. So do running apps focus too much on friends instead of rivals? And actually, the, 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 like, the kind of first paragraph is, my fitness apps and watches should push me to beat past BRs and local athletes, not be virtual running clubs. Um, so it was basically... Wow. Yeah, I thought it was quite an aggressive take on it. Um, but the the point that the article makes um, is that the, the social media element of running apps is great to get you out there, to get you motivated to get out the door. Mm. But then what the person was saying, the author was saying that they would prefer to have more competition whilst out running. So like they kind of get that you need the support and, and motivation to get out there. But then things like Strava challenges and Strava segments challenged. When I went out on and tried to do Heartbreak Hill, that kind of motivated me to run faster, try and mm. be on the Strava leaderboards. But I definitely think there'll be a massive split here of people who would find leaderboards motivating mm. versus yeah. those that would be like, that's not what it's about for me. Yeah, um, so I'm it's quite, team, that's not yeah, what it's that. about for me. Yeah. I'm bad enough with scrolling through all the people that I follow on Strava and being like, oh, they've done a really fast run. I should go out and do it. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I like the fact that I I'm terrible with uploading that stuff i think we talked about it on the podcast my boston marathon for a whole week was afternoon, afternoon run. run yeah because i already find it competition enough like some i feel yeah. like it it depends what headspace i'm in sometimes i love going on and kudosing everyone and celebrating other times it's just for you it, it's just for me but yeah. person personally i feel like that's the difference for me between how I use Strava and Instagram as more like social media apps yeah. and how I use Garmin Connect where I am. It's personal. It is more. Competing against yourself. Yeah. I yeah. feel like apps kind of do already yeah. have, like Garmin Connect for me is like challenging against myself, yeah, but well, I don't know. I guess uh, let us know at podcast at the running channel.com. What motivates you? What do you like in apps? How do you set goals for yourself? Because yeah, for me broadly, I'm out there just doing it to see improvement for myself. So yeah. really interested to find out what people think. But you're listening to the Running Channel podcast. Next up, we've got your questions. Right, so kicking off your questions today, it's a really special one from Tamsin. I'll tell you why, because Tamsin has just ran the Rob Burroughs Leeds Marathon. Have you two seen this over oh, the weekend? Yeah, he was carried over the finish line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's the first, it's the inaugural marathon. It's it, it's absolutely incredible. Um, obviously for motoring your own disease, I'm actually... I'm taking part in a cycle race uh, next weekend. I say a race. It's basically a cycle survival for me to get from one end of Wales yeah, to the other. Didn't you say you're doing 85 miles a day? 85 miles a day. How many days? Four days. How much training have you done? <laughs> uh, I, I looked at a bike in the gym. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Okay, keep going. <laughs> yeah. Leeds, Leeds Marathon. Um, anyway, it's an amazing cause trying to find a cure for MND and not just raise awareness. It's really important. And um, they've done an amazing job. And Tamsin ran it last week. And Tamsin... And her husband, I've been to get into London Marathon next year. And I think they're about to get married, Sarah. Yes, you say husband, yeah, 11 days husband. from now. 11 days from now, they're getting married. They're getting so married. Amazing. Yeah, Massive yeah. congratulations. Yeah. I'm wishing you guys all the best. Tamsin says, we both love reading books about high performance and different ways of thinking. And they notice that we always have a pile of books behind us when we're recording the podcast. Do you have any favourite books about running? And which one would you recommend all runners should read? 
I've got one that isn't actually behind us, but it's on my bookshelf at home. Lizzie Hawker, Runner. I've just Googled what the longer title is. A short story about a long run. This I read this a few years ago and it is such a powerful book on her experience running through some incredible like trail running scenery. It's not necessarily about... Um, it's got some races in there, but it's just talking about why she loves running, why she loves being out. I think it covers her in the Himalayas and running through Nepal as well. So it's a story as well as kind of yeah, adv- it's an kind, advice. It's kind of baseball. more of like a diary of her okay. going through all of her different running experiences. She is an absolutely phenomenal runner, has completed some amazing races and done some amazing wins. But actually what I took away from it was more how her dedication just gets her through all of this stuff and, and the kind of power and connection that she has towards running. Well, that sounds that, a really good one, one to look out for. I'll bring yeah. it in. You can yeah. give it a read. Andy, what about you? Sounds nice. Is he going to say born to run? I, I, no, I'm not going to say born to run. Uh, I'm actually going to, I'm picking one who, you know, I, I know this guy, but I still find his name difficult to say. Ad Haranand Finn, um, an amazing journalist who writes for The Guardian, but has also wrote, written some amazing books about running, ultra running, host of podcasts. So um, definitely check him out. If you're not familiar with him, if you are, then you'll know his books are brilliant. Uh, Running with the Kenyans um, was one of his books. Um, and having been out and trained with, or, or trained in Kenya, in E10, um, I kind of got to see firsthand what he mm. was talking about. So yeah, it's, it's a totally different approach to running. Um, obviously, there's a lot of stuff in, in the news these days about, uh, about doping in Kenya, but that's not what this is about. This is about kind of a purity of, you know, ironically, I suppose. About- Clean running in Kenya. Yeah, I mean, obviously that exists. There's just some incredible people there going yeah. going out there, and 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 we went for runs through through the towns along these amazing dirt roads, and then there's like barefoot kids would run alongside you, and we're finding it much easier than I was finding it at like <laughs> over two thousand meters of altitude. So, um, yeah, I would check out actually any of Ed Haranan's books are amazing. Oh, two good shouts. This question is from Karen, who's emailed asking, do other runners actually like to be cheered on by spectators they don't know? She says she loves it herself. I was starting to get a little self-conscious because no one else around me was doing it in Manchester. So I assume Karen was supporting then. Yeah, I think and, so. And shouting for random people. But that's yeah. why people put their names on their vest, right? Like, yeah. they, they definitely yeah. want it. It does feel weird. I've, done, I've had it both. I've had all variations of this. I have cheered on and felt self-conscious doing it. But I feel really? like you just have to... Well, it is kind of weird if you're stood next to people who are who are just looking out for their like friends or loved ones, and you're there like, "Go on, Tim, you can do it." Yeah, but like Andy says, Sarah, that's the main reason people will write Sarah on their vest. Yeah. So you well, go, no, "Go on, I've Sarah." I think it gives Sarah. you a boost, especially if you're yeah. a really low yeah. moment, like coming out of a tunnel after about twenty miles in London. Yeah, I honestly think it's, it's better to cheer and to have someone look at you being like what are you doing because someone there will really appreciate it and there are loads of people going past because I've definitely had it in races where I've been looking at the crowd and scanning everyone and no one's cheering (laughs) and I'm like please just tell me I'm doing okay yeah I think crack on I think that the the weirder the more wonderful the better I think shout something motivational that like that might make them smile personally that's what i would i would try and do also the better the the bigger the signs the better in my opinion and also i love that i don't know how long this has been going on for but i absolutely love it when families get their loved one's face blown up because they've obviously you know how some people like i know someone i don't think i've seen this it's so good they because obviously it's quite hard to spot people races especially big ones so some people have like little inflatable things that they'll just hold and then you need to look out for like a flag or something now people have leveled it up and you know how you can get like like a stag do or something yeah you get everyone gets your friends yeah Yeah. you get the mask mask. they've got that mask northerners (laughs) um 
Don't she spoke down to us then, didn't <laughs> like she's so condescending. Mask. Yeah. <laughs> it's really coming out. Um everyone gets it like massively like huge yeah. A1 faces. And then you just look out for it. And then some people be like, high five. And then you just high five some, a random person's face. Well, that's, I mean, that's just something we've got to do for each other now, In isn't fairness, it? We can yeah. combine, I, I would happily combine the two of my favorite signs. One is someone's face and two is the uh, tap here for a power up. Uh, I yeah. would quite happily punch Rick's uh. face for a power up. <laughs> After, <laughs> even one mile of a marathon. Yeah, email in podcast at therunningchannel.com. What race are you running and where do you want us to bring Rick's face <laughs> to, to punch? punch yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, any excuse to stop for me. So, you know, hit me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it wouldn't be your actual face. Oh, right. Well, we, could, we could arrange that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll have one of those cut-out circles. Rick, put your face here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, like a sponge throw. Yeah. Anyway, right, it's been a is, lovely podcast. Yeah, this is Descended Into Madness. Thanks so much for listening. You have been listening to The Running Channel Podcast. Please make sure you leave a rate and review. We read through some of them this morning and they're really lovely. Yeah. So thank you. And we will see you next time. This episode was brought to you by Under Armour and their Infinite Elite Everyday Running Shoe, which has a focus on both comfort and endurance. So an ultra springy, responsive feel that protects your legs and keeps them feeling fresh, which is what Jess has been putting to the test as she's been training for over the last 12 weeks for taking on her ultimate ever 10K. And she's been focused on consistency. So being able to show up with those fresh legs every day and every week in order to put in the work and the recovery that she needs to do to run her best. If you want to check out the Under Armour Infinite Elite, head to the link in the show notes.